Good morning, everyone. This week, we continue in our series, Missing Peace. And as we do so, we're turning to a passage that we've probably heard every Christmas since we were born. You know, it's one of those passages that's quite familiar. And it's in Isaiah chapter 9. Isaiah is an Old Testament book. If you're using a church Bible, you'll find it on page 694. Now, later on, I will be putting the words on screen, but I haven't got them in consecutive order here. So I'm just going to uh, read it to you. Perhaps you'd like to listen as I read these verses to you. Nevertheless, there will be no more gloom for those who were in distress. In the past, he humbled the land of Zebulun and the land of Naphtali, But in the future, he will honor Galilee of the nations by the way of the sea beyond the Jordan. The people walking in darkness have seen a great light. On those living in the land of deep darkness, a light has dawned. You have enlarged the nation and increased their joy. They rejoice before you. As people rejoice at the harvest, as warriors rejoice when dividing the plunder. For as in the day of Midian's defeat, you have shattered the yoke that burdens them, the bar across their shoulders, the rod of their oppressor. Every warrior's boot used in battle and every garment rolled in blood will be destined for burning, will be fuel for the fire. For to us, a child is born. To us, a son is given. And the government will be on his shoulders. And he will be called Wonderful Counselor. Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. Of the greatness of his government and peace, there will be no end. He will reign on David's throne and over his kingdom establishing and upholding it with justice and righteousness from that time on and forever. The zeal of the Lord Almighty will accomplish this. The nation of Israel lived without security of an uncrossable border. Here in this country, it has been amazing how much the English Channel has prevented this land being invaded. There were two uh, major sets of preparations going on, once in the early 1800s, which was kiboshed by Nelson's victory at Trafalgar so that Napoleon had no fleet to escort uh, an invasion uh, fleet across the Channel. And then, of course, in 1940 or so, when the Luftwaffe were defeated and so the uh, skies were not ruled by them and that prevented any uh, German invasion. 
And so we possibly don't understand the insecurity of having no borders that are difficult to cross. One of my wife's colleagues, she was with her earlier this year, from Ethiopia, uh, was talking about the Tigray War, which was an armed conflict um, from 2020 to 2022. And it was in northern Ethiopia uh, between the Ethiopian government and Eritrea and the People's Liberation Front of Tigray on the other. What was the outcome? Well, there is a ceasefire and a resolution going on at the moment. But although the exact figures are disputed, the figures of total deaths between 385,000 and 800,000. There are nearly a million refugees from that crisis. But it wasn't in Europe, so we often don't see that, do we? In Myanmar, there has been a military junta, junta ruling since 2021, but the conflict has been going on since the late 1940s. There was a mass refugee exodus in 2010. <clears throat> and of course, the war in Ukraine, where the land borders meant that the Russian tanks could just roll across. And so often in these conflicts, uh, many people suffer, but Christians and Christian leaders are often targeted. So when this week we think about the missing piece, it is in the conflict, uh, sorry, it's in the context of conflict and war. Last week, Andy reminded us of the account of Zechariah and Elizabeth and the arrival of their son, who would become known to us as John the Baptist. And his headlines for us were these. Uh, Despite the hardship, rescue is coming. It's not too good to be true and respond with faith. And so as we look at this passage in Isaiah... I want to draw our attention to the uh, particular uh, parts of this verse as we start off. Because Isaiah chapter 9, coincidentally, comes right after Isaiah chapter 8. Now, this is important because you see the first word there is nevertheless. And you don't ever start a sentence, nevertheless, unless you've said something before where you're drawing some level of contrast. And in chapter 8 and verse 21 and 22, we, we, we see an absolutely difficult, distressing situation. And the summary is, then they will look towards the earth and see only distress and darkness and fearful gloom, and they will be thrust into utter darkness. That's a picture of of the people of Israel having rejected, wholesale rejected their God, the consequences of this. Nevertheless, Isaiah prophesied from 740 BC for about 60 years. So we don't know exactly when these verses were written, but we do know that the northern tribes, that's the tribes Zebulun and Naphtali, they suffered greatly when the Assyrian king Tiglath-Pileser III attacked and annexed the areas in the north of the country 
between 734 and 732 BC. Very much like Putin has attacked and annexed four areas of Ukraine to declare them part of Russia. Now, I've had some surprise and, and even disappointment expressed to me that on the last two occasions I was speaking up here, I didn't put any maps on screen. So, as an early Christmas present to you all, I have a map for you. Right? Okay, thank you. At the time Isaiah wrote, the Assyrian, the big threat was the Assyrian Empire. See it in purple there? So during Isaiah's lifetime, it would expand from that to cover the whole of that gray area. And Isaiah lived in Jerusalem in that tiny island of green near the arrowhead in this map. It became like an enclave within the Assyrian Empire. Now you can read about that in the second uh, book of Kings and in one or two other places you'll get a hint of it as well. But that's the situation that he was facing, this ever-expanding Assyrian Empire and the cruelty levels of the Assyrian Empire make what's been going on in Ukraine seem tame by comparison. And so it was in that situation, very real trauma, very real threat to his country, that Isaiah, with his faith in God, could prophesy and say these things. In the past, he humbled the land of Zebulun and the land of Naphtali. So here are where the tribes are. You can see the arrows pointing to those two tribes right up in the north because the Assyrian invasion came from the north. So they were the first to be the casualties of war, to be um, uh, captured and taken away as slaves. But in the future, he will honor Galilee of the nations by the way of the sea beyond the Jordan. Galilee of the Gentiles, some of you may be familiar with that expression from the old authorized version, or Galilee of the nations. That will be that area to the east, so Manasseh and, and Gilead, part of Gad in the purple there, just to the southeast of the Sea of Galilee. By the way of the sea beyond the Jordan, we're going to show you the way of the sea in a minute, but you'll see um, some of the areas that will be included there. Now, the Assyrians, they carved out three provinces for themselves from these areas. And the first ones to be affected were those tribes up in the north. Can you see? They were hum humbled. By the way of the sea. If you're traveling from Assyria or even from Babylon to Egypt... You'd go up around the Fertile Crescent, then head south, and you'd probably go down through Damascus, and then you'd be following roughly this route. There would be some one, two variations of it. Uh, and it would go through, for example, we might think of it going through Capernaum, which is New Testament where Jesus based, or not far from Nazareth, which is across the um, uh, plain of Megiddo from uh, Armageddon, from Megiddo there. And eventually it would go down close to the sea, all the way to Egypt. You can see why it's called the way of the sea, can't you? The Romans called it the Via Maris, which means the sea road. And so Isaiah is giving us some quite specific geography here, isn't he? As he teaches us uh, about this great thing that is to come. 
The people walking in darkness have seen a great light. Remember that nevertheless? He's drawing this contrast from the bleak situation of the end of chapter 8. They've seen a great light. It's possible that you feel that you are in gloom, that you are in darkness, that you're walking in darkness. It may be because of the global challenges that are being faced, the wars that we've mentioned. I know that some of you here are very deeply and personally affected by what has been happening in your own country in Ukraine. You might feel a gloom for national reasons. I'm not referring to our glorious exit from the World Cup. Maybe, maybe because of politics or the economy or, or, or strikes or, or, or moral degradation. And I want to remind you that if because of the economy you are really struggling with your bills at the moment and you are in real need, we have a winter fund here. Please do talk to one of the leaders. We want to help. It might be for personal reasons. Perhaps your family your health, your job, your financial pressures, that you think you're walking in darkness. It might be that you haven't found an answer to life yet. You haven't found God who will walk with you, who will have your back. Did you see the interview with um, Saka, one of the English players, young English players, who was in a press conference um, in, the, in, in Qatar? And he was being questioned about the fact he read the Bible each night. And he says, because God is with me when I go on the field. I, I, he has my back. And, and my, my grandson, who's eight, is mad keen on football at the moment. And, and Cindy was telling him about this. And he said, can you, Grandma, what, can you find out what position Saka plays? And, and so Cindy, who's not the greatest fan of football, did the necessary research and discovered he plays midfield. And so Joshua said, that must mean God is playing centre back for him. Okay. Now, in these verses, and in several of the verses that's going to follow, Isaiah is using past tenses to speak of events that, although they're in the future, they are certain because they are divinely planned. God has them planned, and they are predicted. Here, through an authentic prophet of God. In other words, as he talks about the future, they are so certain of happening that he can write about them in the past tense. And when prophets do this, we sometimes refer to it as the prophetic perfect tense. And what he's doing, he's combining faith's imagination with the assurance which we find in Hebrews chapter 1 that faith is the certainty of things hoped for, the assurance of things not seen. And what happens is this growing joy turns to praise. Chapter uh, 9, verse 1, Nevertheless, there will be no more gloom for those who are in distress. Verse 2, the people who are walking in darkness have seen a great light. Verse 3, you, you God, have enlarged the nation. 
and increase their joy. So he, he just comes out in a song of praise to God that despite all that is going on in the world, all the evil, all the threats that, that, that his nation is surrounded by at the moment, that God has got this, God has their back, and God is worthy of praise. And he's got a couple of comparisons to help people relate to this. Both the farmer and the soldier have their times of joy at the climax of their work. I'm in a small group of um, five men. We meet at 7.45 every Monday morning, horrific hour of the day, um, on Zoom, thankfully, um, to pray with each other. And one of those is Peter. Peter is a farmer. Uh, there he is there, and, uh, and, and, and we pray about his harvest, and let me tell you but that by the autumn, when he's finally got it all in, there's a sort of uh, a sort of collective sigh of relief, as we've been praying for him, you know, praying the weather actually, just sometimes, to, to give him the chance to harvest, but there's that celebration, the harvest is done. And in the context of war, in, in, in most of the centuries, the warriors would rejoice at dividing the plunder. Washing machines, anyone? So when we read Isaiah's prophecy, what time scale are we looking at? Well, some friends of ours moved from Buckingham to Tucson in Arizona to be uh, near one of the southwestern USA states, uh, to be near their family in their sort of semi-retirement. If you fly out there and you land at, uh, at Tucson Airport, you're in the south part of the city, and if you look north, you'll see the Catalina Mountains. And as you drive north towards Phoenix, after about 45 minutes, you'll notice that what look like one giant mountain it's actually a whole range of mountains with the highest mountains in the back and from the south for say 45 miles away we might say that the Catalina mountains look foreshortened you only see one hill if you like or one set of hills but from another perspective you can see that they are many mountains And this idea of foreshortening is how we often see the prophets seeing things. So so imagine a prophet standing on a hill and looking forward. You might go to South Harting and look north when you're on the hill there and just see the hills in the distance. And there is Isaiah looking into the future and and he's seeing a peak that is actually either current events or, or near future in the next few days or months or the next few years. And when he writes, as we read, nothing in Isaiah reveals the extended period between the two comings of the Messiah, of Jesus. He'll give us some of these in the New Testament. Because some of the hills that he sees, if you like, the peaks, are actually some way in the distance, 700 700 and something years away, and that's the arrival of Jesus. But Isaiah can't see that gap. So when we read these verses together, we have to do a bit of detective work to work out what's now, what's when Jesus comes. And then he goes on to remind them of their history of how God had helped them before in the day of Midian's defeat. And that was um, a vast army of Midianites swarming all over their land. And God had given them a sign. And the emphasis was on faith in God and not dependence on man. Because he took an army of 300 to defeat the Midianites. And most of all, this passage 
promises total redemption by the Lord. Israel was to be utterly delivered from the oppressor. Four. Four, there must be a cause of these things and it is because a child will be born. And that word child is emphasized in the original. It's not going to be a boy king, right? But he will enter the world as a child. And this child has four names. A mighty God, a oh, wonderful counselor, uh, and mighty God, suggesting divine wisdom and power. And the last two really set out the ends he's going to accomplish by the exercise of the wonderful counselor, mighty God. His fatherly care of his people and the bringing of peace with all the blessings that comes with that. Big picture here. It's going to be so good and so great that it will never stop. It will be a rule that brings long-standing eternal peace. How? What's going to make it happen? The zeal of the Lord Almighty will accomplish this. And so we see there is another peak that Isaiah is seeing. Advent is that time when we remember not just the coming of Jesus in Bethlehem, but also the fact he will come again. And there's a, a fairly well-known Advent hymn. Lo, he comes with clouds descending once for every sinner slain. Thousand, thousand saints attending swell the triumph of his name. For every eye shall now behold him robed in glorious majesty. There is going to come a time when Jesus comes back and that's when we'll see that everlasting peace but I think there's an added mountain in here and just to be Christmassy I'm going to put it in in green okay and that's that bit Jesus came at Bethlehem but when he on the day of Pentecost sent his spirit to dwell within the lives of believers what we have is that intermediate peace within when around us there is no peace. And that's something God offers to all of us now. He offers his peace to us through Jesus. If you're struggling at the moment as a believer in Jesus and you just don't feel that peace, can I encourage you, ask someone to pray for you. You know, if you come up here to the front afterwards, there'll be a believer here who will find you and just sit and pray with you. Some, I've had that in the past when I've been struggling, something happened at work and I prayed with someone and, and just God overwhelmed me with peace. And if you're struggling with that and if you don't yet know Jesus and, and your life seems in turmoil, can I encourage you, he is the giver of peace for now. Do you remember the words of, of Lena in Cherhiv? I accepted God into my heart, into my soul, and this really helps me.
I know I am not on my own, that the Lord is always close to me in my soul. We dream of peace, of course, peace that will definitely come very soon, but it will not be the sort of peace that we're promised in Isaiah because the peace in Isaiah is far greater than any peace this world has ever known. So let me remind you of Andy's three lessons for us from his talk last week because they're consistent with this prophecy too. Despite the hardship, rescue is coming. Despite the hardship, God is going to bring about, is bringing about a rescue. It's not too good to be true because the certainty of the prophecy of Isaiah as God speaks to him means he could even write about it in the past tense. And therefore, the call to us is to respond with faith, to trust God, to trust him for that inner peace now, and to trust that despite all that goes on around us, one day it will indeed be sorted. The last verse of that hymn, Yea, amen, let all adore thee, high on thine eternal throne. Saviour, take the power and glory, claim the kingdom as thine own. Alleluia, alleluia, thou shalt reign and thou alone. Let's pray. Father, more than anything else, we want these words in Isaiah that we are so familiar with to, to hit us with a freshness to that tonight and today and through this Christmas time. And we, we do that, um, we pray that because we trust it will be the work of your Holy Spirit to impress this on our hearts with a confidence and a faith that we can respond and say, Alleluia, one day we shall see you reigning throughout. But for now, our prayer is that you would reign in our hearts and that that reign of peace in our hearts would touch the lives of others we meet with and engage with each day. So in our families and in our front line, wherever that is during the week, we ask, Father, that the peace that is so often missing in this world will be something that we can share and pass on because you have given us that peace through the life, the death, and the resurrection of our Lord Jesus Christ. Amen.